Today's Flashback Friday comes from episode 837, originally published in May 2017. Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show. This is your host, Jason Hartman, with episode number 837-837. Thank you so much for joining me today. We always appreciate you tuning in three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday is kind of a special day, Flashback Friday. And then, of course, you know that every 10th episode, we go off topic and we talk about something of general interest, sometimes that lands on a Flashback Friday, and we repeat one of our 10th show episodes, but uh, mostly it doesn't. I guess we would need a mathematician to kind of figure out how that works. It's it's almost like an algorithm, <laughs> right? It happens a few times a year. Speaking of which, today we've got uh, one of the brightest mathematical minds I know with us today, and he is our uh, Venture Alliance member, and that is Mr. Mike Zlotnick, who is a hard money lender. He is a founder of Tempo Funding. Mike, welcome. How you doing? Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. You're coming to us from the Big Apple. You're actually outside of the Big Apple. Well, I don't know. Is Brooklyn the Big Apple? Is that oh, is that ab- considered New York City? Do you call it New York City? Absolutely. Brooklyn is a part yeah, of New York okay. City. And uh, did you know that there are more people who live in Brooklyn than Manhattan? I did not know that. I guess uh, that's because Manhattan's more business and office than uh, residential, right? That's right, but but New York City is composed of five boroughs: um, Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Bronx. That's the Big Apple. See, folks, we're getting a geography lesson here today. This is good. <laughs> well, Mike, I want to ask you about the economy a little bit, and you know, the sitting in your chair and doing what you do all day, financing real estate deals. You've got a unique perspective. I, I would just love for you to share a little bit, bit of that with your listeners today. We will be playing a, a clip from a live event that I did, time permitting. If not, we'll play it next week. Let's just dive in a little bit and talk about you know, what you see going on in the marketplace. You talk to me a lot about cap rate compression, as you call it, or yield compression. And I'd like to you know, give our listeners a little insight, a little definition on what that means first, and insight into what's happening and why it's happening and and some thoughts and predictions for the future of interest rates, inflation, etc. So, um, Mike, tell our listeners what you mean about yield compression and cap rate compression. Sure, Jason. So yield compression is simply reduction of the yield that investors receive on the investment for the same level of risk that they take. So you invest your capital and before you used to make 10%, now you make 9% and the day of after tomorrow, you're going to make 8%. And 
it's a, it's an it's an event that happens when there's a lot of capital chasing the same deal flow, and the capital is willing to take less of a return uh, because there's more capital and there's less uh, supply of deals. Right. So it's it's simply the dis, the supply demand curve that uh, dictates or causes yield compression or yield expansion. It's similar to inflation because the way you said that, Mike, was interesting. It was almost really sort of that classic reason that inflation occurs, right? You have a increasing supply of dollars or whatever fiat currency chasing a limited supply of assets. So this is what happens in the investing world. There's a ton of capital out there chasing deals, whether they be the physical assets wanting to buy a property. And certainly we're seeing that. I mean, in in my career of dealing with 100% investors starting in 2004, this is now my 13th year of doing this. And of course, I've been in the real estate business longer. But just on the investor only side for the past 13 plus years, uh, this is one of the lowest inventory times I have ever seen. Inventory is very scarce because you have huge amounts of capital chasing in a, a limited supply of assets. So, of course, on our side... Uh, on the physical asset side, the actual property ownership side, you see the yields compressing, right? You see lower cash on cash returns, lower cap rates, uh, lower overall return on investment. But I tell you, it's like I said to one of our investors who actually was on the podcast a few years about, uh, ago, that's uh, Drew. We just traded Voxer messages on this the other day. He said, I can't find any good deals. I've got capital. I want to invest and I want to buy more properties. And, you know, just none of these deals look that great. And I'm like, Drew, you know, just wait a few years and those deals are going to look awesome. It always happens that way. You know, we always have to... The psychology always lags the market, doesn't it? And do you find that true with, with your investors? With yours, they're not buying the hard money or they're not buying the hard asset, the property. They're just putting money into financing a deal for somebody else, loaning the money, right? Well, that's right. But it's very similar to what you mentioned. Um, it is capital chasing deals. And in our case, when we make our hard money loan, it's still a uh, property uh, that secures the loan. And uh, as there are a number of uh, properties uh, out there on the market uh, going down, as there's a reduction of, of inventory, the capital available to finance these properties is still abundant. And the consequence is that the rates borrowers pay on these hard money loans are coming down. That's the same concept as um, people who are buying properties. The owners of the property seeing um, yield compression, the return. So cash from cash returns is compressing cap rates. In the lending space, exactly the same effect taking place. The lenders are receiving lower rate of return uh, on their capital. So it's the same concept. Both parties are sort of suffering. Okay, so why has this happened, though? I mean, is, is there suddenly more capital than there was three years ago? I mean, what happened? Uh, I think both. Uh, the deal flow was much more abundant after the crash of uh, 2008, 2009. And as the deal flow was abundant, the capital was scarce. Everybody was scared to put the money in the market, both in equity deals or debt deals. And over years, as economy recovered, more and more people uh, started looking for deals. And uh, the low-hanging fruit has been picked. The deal flow uh, has sort of slowed down 
the short sales slowdown, the uh, REOs properties uh, inventory is reduced. So on the inventory side, there are fewer deals and they're harder to find deals. And then on the lending side, there's been major inflow of capital from the Wall Street sort of uh, entering the industry in the form of hedge fund uh, capital, uh, providing um, liquidity to a lot of uh, bigger hard money uh, originators. And they're coming in in drones, offering cheaper and cheaper capital just to get the business. So it's a little bit of a dangerous model when the capital is chasing deals. Um, but it's happening in uh, large institutional capital has a problem of utilization. They want to put a lot of money to work and they want to do it fast. And when they, they do that, they care less about quality. They care about volume. And that's, yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we've talked about this on the show over the years of how inst- large amounts of institutional capital flowing into the real estate market or flowing into any asset class for that matter will accept really low meager returns and that's always blown my mind because i always thought you know the more money i have the better deal i should get but that's actually counterintuitive that's actually not necessarily true in fact i'd say arguably maybe most of the time it's the opposite because when they have so much capital to deploy you know the the old saying is what gets re- uh, what gets rewarded gets repeated right they get rewarded for deploying capital for investing that money and if some fund manager has 200 million dollars sitting on the sideline and it's not invested they're in trouble right it's it's kind of like it's kind of like you know backwards thinking in a way it's sort of the way government works right every year every every friend of mine i know or and every person i've ever talked to that is a government contractor whether they sell computers or whatever to the government right Every fall when, you know, these agencies need to spend money because if they don't spend all their budget, then they can't ask for an increase or they won't even get the same budget. Their budget will be reduced the following year. So they they just spend wildly and stupidly to, in essence, deploy capital. And sort of the same thing happens with these big institutional investors, which is why, listeners, the lesson, what's the lesson here, right? The lesson is... If you are investing with one of these institutional investors and you're the little pawn putting your life savings, your retirement money in with them, look at how, how they're doing it, right? They're, they're not really combing through deals. I mean, when we've had, you know, when we haven't had many of them, but we've had a few, uh, hedge funds and private equity groups over the years buying properties from us. You know, they're not picky. <laughs> Let me tell you, they just buy stuff because they it just doesn't matter, right? If they pay 10 grand too much for a house, so what? Like in the big picture to them, it's meaningless. Uh, but if you're if you're the investor in that fund, then, hey, you know, there there goes your, your return, right? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to comment on this. So pretty simple. They get paid um, for uh, doing deals. They're not getting paid necessarily for performance. So every time they uh, originate, they put the money to work, they collect the fee. From their perspective, they need these fees. They don't really care if they're lending the money at 7% rate, 8%, 9%. As long as the money is coming out, they're collecting the fees. So sort of these uh, origination fees is what they care about. And it is counterintuitive. We take an opposite approach. We want to make sure that our investors return on 
uh, risk-adjusted return is maximized. So we care about putting the money at, at healthy rates. So as a small operator, we, we pay attention. The big shops don't. They have so much money to deploy that the money burns a hole in the pocket. If it sits idle, it's a bigger problem for them than putting it to work at the rates that are lower than what they should be. This is counterintuitive, folks. Most people would not think of it this way. And that's almost like, you know, the the bigger the fund, the more meager the returns they will accept, oddly. You'd think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I would think it'd be the opposite. I would think if I have a ton of money, I'm going to get a a volume discount. I'm going to get a bulk discount, right? Not true. (laughs) it's, it's, It's opposite, you know, yeah. Uh, the, the, the only other quick thought here is that um, uh, the yield compression has has been happening for the last couple of years. It continues to uh, take place. And uh, what's strange is we don't know where the bottom is. The more I speak with people, it just appears that the um, uh, the greed of the Wall Street and their desire to just put the money to work exceeds reasonable thinking. So they're flooding the markets with uh, with capital. And uh, the consequences, obviously, uh, they're going to inflate asset inflation. And one day it can, the balloon can pop. So it's. It sure can and it sure will. What goes up must come down, you know. And and this is why I say, as on the real estate side of this, I mean, of course, you're talking about the stock market and stuff, I know, uh, to a large extent. But on the real estate side of it, look, be in the linear conservative markets because they're. You don't have a big bubble pop risk. But if you are in these high-flying markets, boy, watch out because, number one, I know for sure you bought assets or you're thinking of buying assets that don't make sense the day you buy them. They don't cash flow. You're a speculator, a capital appreciation investor. And, you know, commandment number five is thou shalt not gamble. So the nice conservative yield-oriented investments are the thing to do. Mike, we talked a little bit, um, you know, we've talked a lot over the years and at the Venture Alliance meetings and so forth. We've got one coming up. I'll see you in Chicago here uh, real soon, about three weeks away. But what do you think, you know, what's your take on sort of the, where the economy is now, the Trump administration, inflation, deflation, interest rates? I think you're like me that you, you believe inflation is coming, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh- well, it's already here, but yeah, more is coming. Accelerating, yeah, what think, yeah. Unfortunately, um, what's happening is this uh, real simple on, on a grand scale of, of things. U.S. government continues to um, have terrible balance sheet, and every year it's getting worse. More people retire, uh, entitlements are growing, and the federal budget continues to um, get worse and worse. What's the only solution? They flood. You know, they borrow more and the unfunded liabilities become real liabilities and the consequence of it is just more money chasing all kinds of assets. So that's a classic inflation because of the um, uh, more capital is out there getting printed every year. The Federal Reserve Bank is just printing capital, printing money. And um, so I think that's that's happening everywhere. Um, uh, as far as, um, um, you know, your day in and day out, Asset inflation, well, New York City is, is, is booming, but it's an odd bird, not everywhere else. And I can tell you, um, because, you know, we are a hard money lender, we're in various markets, the markets are softening up. So I'll give you an example, Miami, uh, we're already seeing significant slowdown in the condo market. There's already, um, fluff is beginning to, you know, to show up. 
in the consequence of there's going to be some level of correction in these super hot markets. No, no question about it. <laughs> Get ready, folks, because it's coming. I, I, I've told you a million times that there's, you know, there's no way any of these markets aren't way past their fundamentals, these high flying cyclical markets, you know, Miami, New York, LA, Washington, DC, uh, you know, the, the West Coast, just anywhere, uh, you know, Boston, blah, blah, blah. They go on and on. Paris, uh, New York, or not, I mentioned New York, uh, Hong Kong, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Dubai. Yeah, but I, I, I will back to differ uh, just about all in New York City because I know the market. I know you always the say residential that. market in yeah. New York City seems to be pretty strong. Although the, the, the condom boom continues and um, one day will slow down. So it's inevitable. People can't be paying for the square foot what they're paying now. It's almost like um, got to watch the movie called Rent, uh, Rent Control. Talking about New York City. <laughs> Any of the listeners. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. That Oh, boy, I'd probably be screaming at the TV if I watched that. I hate rent control. It's such a scam. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. I uh, I do need to see that. I didn't know there was. A, is that a documentary? Yeah, it's an old movie. It's a classic. It's a comedy. It's a great, great movie. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who will not enjoy this movie. But talking about New York City. Yeah, just... But as the inflation continues here, people paying more and more, uh, I think there's more money in people's pockets. So um, there's definitely appears to be more capital chasing deals and uh, there are fewer and fewer asset classes. So foreign capital continues to flow into New York as it needs to be parked somewhere. I have conversation with folks who live in different countries and uh, just, they just don't want to keep the money there. That's why the money flows here. Uh, it's really safety of the capital. Well, you, you've you've certainly seen that in Vancouver too, and that market is changing quite a bit. But it's been one of these high flying places. And the amazing thing is, and this just is such a testament for how good America is as a place to invest. I mean, even though it's all messed up and got a ton of problems, but comparatively, right? That wealthy foreigners use U.S. real estate as a bank, quite literally. And uh, my building where I live in Las Vegas is, is, you know, and Mike, you've been to my house here. Uh, you know, when, when you and Elizabeth and Fernando and I met here and we had a, like a day long meeting at my house, uh, during our Venture Alliance trip here in Las Vegas, the last one it, it is the, the amazing thing is so many of these units are just vacant. You know, they, they might be furnished. They might not be furnished, but the people never come here. They just buy them, especially Chinese buyers. They just buy them and they use the unit as a bank. It's, it's like putting your money in the bank. They're not even really necessarily buying them with any huge appreciation expectation, which, you know, if they get it, that's icing on the cake. Uh, I don't know that they will or they won't, but you know, that's a different discussion, but they're just, they're just banking their money. You know, they're just looking for a, a safe place to put it. And uh, the U.S. has always been known as the Brinks truck. Uh, and, uh, you know, it can't all be in banks, there's a lot of bank account restrictions, right? But it's easy to buy real estate. You know, the U.S. is very open to FDI, foreign direct investments. So, yeah, interesting. Very interesting stuff. So why do you think inflation is coming? Uh, GDP growth is uh, incredibly weak. I mean, we're basically, if we're going to be at two and a quarter or two and a half, we'll be very happy. And with lower low GDP, uh, the U.S. economy is not growing fast enough as its uh, financial obligations. And on a federal level, I mean, we, we just mentioned entitlements. They're going to continue to get worse. There's also a massive problem on the state level. 
So the budgets continue to get um, uh, worse and worse. And um, uh, we're probably going to see sort of uh, a thing called stagflation, where the salaries are uh, going to grow slower than the inflation, and the money will be chasing more uh, assets, but the incomes are not. So it's a, it's, it's a bizarre uh, scenario. But if you were to define what's likely going to happen, in, in my opinion, stagflation is a, is a likely scenario in the United States, as strange as it sounds. So stagflation, that's an ugly scenario. It's no fun. It means people's standard of living will decline, but the assets will keep appreciating. So here's a, here's a distinction I want to help the listeners with. And it's not the first time I've talked about it, but it, it's important. We haven't talked about it a ton. So let's just go into it for a moment. And you've alluded to it because you've used the phrase a few times, asset inflation, Mike. Okay. So you know, there's a tendency, and I'm guilty of this uh, as well, to just say it generically, inflation, right? Like inflation. Yet, you look at the cost of consumer electronics, you look at the cost of a lot of things, and they keep getting better and cheaper, or at least they get better, they don't get cheaper, but they get better, which in effect, by the hedonic indexing, the amount of pleasure you get from the item, it makes it cheaper. So, what what people never consider really too much, and it's not considered in the consumer price index in terms of inflation, but it, it really hurts people and leaves them behind, is that concept of asset inflation. So even though all of the consumer goods they buy in their life, clothing, electronics, might be relatively cheap or even getting cheaper, how about trying to buy a house? How about trying to enter what I call the investor class, right? How about trying to buy a share of uh, stock in Amazon.com, right? It's, it's incredibly expensive. And that's asset inflation, right? If you want to become an investor, all the real estate has become a lot more expensive. And what that does is it leaves people out. People can't get in that game. And if they can't get in that game, then they're unlikely to be able to build any real wealth. They're always going to be on the treadmill and in the rat race, as Robert Kiyosaki puts it, right? Where they're always, you know, paycheck, paycheck, save money, you know, try and save money, try and get ahead. But you never really can because the only thing that has real leverage are investments, assets. So you've got to own assets. And if you have asset inflation, you get left out of the investor class, right? Uh, nobody really considers that too much. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, I've had conversations with a couple of friends, um, Cal Kids Ice Skate together, and they are professionals, um, uh, doctors and lawyers, and with strangers, when they go to buy a property here in New York, they find it more and more difficult to buy because the income doesn't grow fast enough as the uh, assets price, and uh, income growth significantly lags and will continue to lag um, asset inflation, and they're very different things. People refer to the word inflation, but inflation is two components. It's the income inflation and asset inflation and prices for, for goods and services. And if they don't keep up. Right. It's consumer price index. It's CPI style inflation, which of course is always understated, but that's another discussion. Understated with weighting substitution and hedonics, which I've talked to you about before. It's also the asset classes, right? So it's, it's buying a home in which to live. It's entering the investor class. You know, when, when the stock market is on a tear, when the real estate market's on a tear, can you even enter the investor class at all? 
when there's a ton of asset inflation. And it's very deceiving because that is not reflected in the CPI, is it? No, it's not. And you're absolutely right. The markets to enter are the good cash flow markets. Mid-America are much better markets to enter than the high-flying markets. It's very hard to even enter high-flying markets. You want to buy a property here in New York? Well, put 30% down and you're going to barely break even on a cash flow. How does that sound? Oh, you're not even going to break even at 30% down. Are you kidding me? Because you're going to you're going to end up with a condo in one of those high-flying markets with 8 to $1200 a month HOA fees. You know, it's just it just doesn't work. I mean, it's just out of control in those markets. I mean, it, you just can't even can't even get close. You know, I mean, I think you're being very optimistic 30% down break even, aren't you? Uh, yeah, on well, a probably two or three family house in Brooklyn here, you could barely break even on a two or three, you know, uh, but you're right, Macondo, forget it. <laughs> condos are, ter- are terrible. You know, what's interesting is the appreciation has been very spotty. So condos are appreciated terribly in comparison to housing in, in Brooklyn. Uh, housing is appreciated much more. So, um, you know me, I don't like condos. I mean, the, uh, yeah, I'm not saying I'll never buy one, but the deal's got to be awfully good to look at a condo. So it's interesting, though, Mike, that you think there's really going to be that much stagnation in the wages. I think there definitely are some factors against that. But one of them that I think is for it is our child president in an adult body, and that's Trump, <laughs> okay, you know, who's, who's really surprisingly immature. <laughs> you see, there I said it, folks. Don't think I'm some big Trump fan over here, okay? I don't want to hear that anymore. Uh, I'm not. I, I'm very critical of Trump. But I do think we're going to see some decent wage in growth under Trump because, uh, you know, you get in immigration under control, which means you stop importing uh, deflationary pressures on the labor market. And if his protectionist trade policies uh, occur, I think that's going to be more American jobs. Uh, you know, this is uh, it's always a trade off, isn't it? Yeah, maybe <laughs> Trump is inflationary for uh, incomes in theory, right, with the anti-immigration policy. Um, but the the money's got to come from somewhere and um incomes typically grow as corporate earnings accelerate um corporations pay more they they're able to hire more 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 folks and um on the grand scale of things is gdp if gdp doesn't grow fast enough where is the um, excess uh, capital going to come from to pay people higher salaries uh so it may maybe i may be wrong well, I think it comes out of price growth. I mean, if the companies raise prices through inflation, then they have more money to pay in salaries. I mean, you know, it's it's just going to they're going to have to if you can't keep importing cheap labor from south of the border um, to create this fake deflationary pressure, which, in my opinion, is my big conspiracy theory that I've been espousing for over 10 years now about why you know, why won't anybody control the border, right? The reason they don't want to, because it, 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 letting the immigration occur makes inflation seem lower. It, it, it makes it seem like there's no inflationary pressure that is definitely baked in to the terrible fiscal policies we've had for the last 50 years. It's baked in. But, you know, if you, if you import cheap goods from Asia, right? And you import cheap labor from Mexico, that's going to tame the inflation monster that really is baked into the cake. And they, that's a good way to hide it. I mean, it's a pretty good business plan for government. I can totally understand why they do it. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. 
there might be some inflationary pressure, but they really have to watch what happens with interest rates. So if they let inflation accelerate a little too much, uh, the interest rates are going to start climbing, and that'll cause all kinds of grief, including the debt service on the U.S. national debt. It's going to it's going to be in a potentially death spiral per se. So I actually believe in a grand conspiracy theory where interest rates can't really go up a lot because U.S. government can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they need CPI low. They need to keep um, increases to Social Security beneficiaries low and um, need to keep interest rates low to sustain the um, uh, the U.S. Uh, financial system. But but overall, you do think interest rates are on their way up, right? Uh, temporarily. They, they cannot go up too much. So, I mean, this is sort of a good news for real estate uh, from the point of view that the high interest rate obviously impact real estate negatively. Uh, but I just can't see the interest rates climbing too much. They can't get even to a normalized point where your 30-year mortgage is 6%. I don't think we're going to see that in the near future. Yeah, so it's, you know, who knows? Who knows what happens to it? But um, we have to be prepared for either scenario for um, high interest rates and low interest rate. And uh, real estate seems to be the best class to um, hedge against inflation or uh, even if inflation is low, real estate does well too. So. Yeah, no, it's it's an it's an amazing asset class because it's multidimensional. And if we see higher interest rates, that will that will cause a downward pressure on real estate prices, but it will cause upward pressure on real estate rents. So, you know, the beautiful thing about income properties, you can always adjust your strategy. You can't do that with a big expensive home in which you live, okay? There you can't adjust the strategy. But with the the income property you can, and that's that's another reason your home is not an asset. You, you know, you can't do this stuff with stocks or bonds or any other investment. It's a very, very unique investment. And speaking of investments, we gotta wrap it up. But Mike, um, your company basically uh, does hard money lending. So if any of our listeners uh, need financing for properties that they're buying or are interested in financing properties, even though there's like no properties to finance, basically, <laughs> because there's so much capital chasing so few deals. And, and you know, the other problem with the hard money lending nowadays is the properties, they don't keep the loans long enough. You know, they repay them so quickly because the properties sell so fast that it's uh, it's a challenge to keep your your money in the game, right? Yeah. I mean, in today's uh, day and age, you're right. There's more money chasing deals and utilizing, utilizing all available capital is a little bit harder than before. Uh, we, we do a couple of things. We obviously do hard money loans. And just to be clear, we only finance short duration bridge loans for fix and flip or fix and refi projects. We don't do any long-term loans. Uh, we have a razor focus on the short duration. But we also have a, um, a long-term uh, investment fund where we take advantage of the interesting uh, diversified opportunities and we invest for long-term in the projects um, in, the mid, uh, in the mid-states, not, not coastal markets in these non-sexy, non-interesting cities you never heard about sometimes. And sometimes you've heard of these cities, but uh, the projects we invest in are not your sexy projects. And these projects generally perform um, better in downturn. And uh, at this point, we're still in the last leg of the uh, uh, of the growth. So, 
so that's what we do. We, we try to we try to put the money to work on great projects and uh, maximize the risk-adjusted return. You know, Mike, I'm glad you said that. You know, uh, as a general rule in life, it's not always true, but as a very general rule, sort of a, a first-cut rule, the sexier the deal is, the lower the returns will be. <laughs> you know, if it's a trophy property in Newport Beach, California, you're just not going to get the return that you're going to get for that, you know, not so sexy property in Indianapolis or Memphis or Atlanta or, you know, wherever, right? You know, in any of the markets you'll find at uh, jasonhartman.com slash properties, right? Those those aren't as sexy, but the returns are better and they're more solid. Hey, Mike, I look forward to seeing you in Chicago in about three weeks for our Venture Alliance Mastermind meeting. Folks, we have two events coming up. Of course, the Venture Alliance Mastermind meeting. You can go Go to VentureAllianceMastermind.com or JasonHartman.com. Click on events and check that out. Talk to your investment counselor at our firm if you have one, or just reach out to us through the website. And then also we've got our Oklahoma City Jason Hartman University Live, which is where you really dive into the numbers. You dive into acquisition uh, strategies on properties. And we're going to do something new at this event. We're going to do some panel discussions at the JHU Live coming up in Oklahoma City in July. We also have a property tour combined with that as well. So we're going to tour some great properties. I think you should definitely attend uh, those two events. So uh, check those out at jasonhartman.com on the events section. And Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate having you. Jason, thank you kindly. Looking forward to seeing Chicago at the Venture Alliance in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.